Okay, so now we've walked through how to edit and generate reactions and how to edit and generate compounds. So let's take a look at what we can do with proteins. So we're going to go up here, protein, and let's just pull up aspartate kinase. And here we are, aspartate kinase, lyse in this case. Uh, we're pointing to the reaction that we were looking at earlier. Now, as we mentioned before, Pathway Tools is set up to have most of the functional curation for gene products in the protein pages. Our expectation is that you're going to put the what this thing does into the protein page rather than the gene page. So we have a lot of tools to help you do that. You probably won't be making a lot of new protein monomers uh, over time in your database because we've generated them off of the genes that are already there. But if you need to, you can. You might, for example, need to make a protein monomer that's not connected to a gene to represent an enzyme whose activity has been assayed and even maybe has been purified in the past, but for which you don't have sequence information. And, you know, this actually does happen a fair amount of the time. So let's go up here onto the name and right-click to see what our options are in the editor. Okay, so we have the protein editor, which is the interface we'll be using to edit the protein. We have the protein subunit structure editor, which is for protein complexes, which we'll address in a little bit. And then other options that you basically don't want to touch again, like the frame editor. The you might want to use the synonym editor that lets you change the name of the protein, other things, without opening the main protein editor. And there's a f add feature thing, but you can actually add features within the protein editor. So we're basically going to want to stick with the editor. Now, we're looking at the inside of the protein frame. Let's see what we can change here. Okay, we can edit the enzyme name up here at the top. We can add an evidence code for a non-enzymatic function. We actually have a different evidence code slot for enzymatic reactions, for small molecule reactions. And the evidence code thing here, all you need to do is click on evidence code and it will give you this menu of options. And our full evidence code is explained in our documentation and on the website. But say, for example, that we had a non- enzymatic function that had been determined experimentally with purified protein. For example, if the protein, if aspartate kinase were shown to also be a chaperone that promoted protein folding, then we could put a citation in here. And the basic point of evidence codes is to say why we believe that something does what we say it does, and to let you associate that citation in a structured fashion. Now, citations you can add in the space available here. You can add them as PubMed IDs, and that's the most straightforward way. If the thing you're citing does not have a PubMed ID, then you can just type something in. I will type random junk. And when I click away, it's going to tell me, well, that's not the correct format for a PubMed ID, and it's not a frame in your database already, so do you want to make a frame? And we say, sure. And we say title is random junk paper. And author name is author A and source journal of generic research and you can put in all these things like that and you can say okay and so now we have a mnemonic reference there we could also just as easily have gone in and put in a PubMed ID so let's try one of those And when you put in a PubMed ID and click away, it's not going to bother you about it because it doesn't really, it looks at it, the software looks at it and says, 
this looks like a PubMed ID, great. Now, when I hit OK and come out of this, and I'll do that right now, then it'll have an evidence code up here, and you can see that it's given me this little pop-up tooltip uh, telling me what evidence I say is there for this non-enzymatic function, and it includes an assay of purified protein, assay of purified protein, and a mnemonic for the author, and I helpfully called the author, author. So it's showing up here as saying author. Now, I'll get into this a little bit more in a moment because we're going to move down from here to gene classes, go terms, and the summary. So let's talk about gene classes and go terms for a little bit. Gene classes lets you choose from components of the multifun ontology, which is a protein functional ontology. And you may or may not be entirely familiar with that, but it has the kind of things you'd expect to see there. And, for example, this could be plasmid-related. I kind of sincerely doubt that it is, but it could be. Now, also over here you have go terms, gene ontology terms, which you may be familiar with. If you're not, the Go Consortium has a full explanation of go terms on their website. And we help you out here because you, like almost any curator or researcher who is not a full-time member of the Go Consortium, may not know you know, the Go hierarchy off the top of your head. It's large, complex. So if I click here on Go Terms, I get a browsable hierarchy. So I could just click through and select stuff. But I also get a search window here. And so, for example, I could type in aspartate kinase, and I could click search, and you have to click search, hitting enter here, as you may be used to doing, won't work. And what the software is doing now for you, and it's done, is searching through the entire Go hierarchy for appropriate terms. And we see, aha, aspartate kinase activity. And when I click on that, it's highlighted up here, but I haven't yet chosen it, because I may want to browse around within the hierarchy there and see if there's something more appropriate. For now, I think aspartate kinase is a perfect hit, this Go term here, uh, 4072. So I'll select it. And now it appears down here under selections. And you may notice this window here is actually showing you the definition of each go term as I mouse over it. But so we've selected aspartate kinase activity. Great. We'll leave it at that for now, though usually you'll be attempting to go for a number of go terms on each protein that you're editing. I'll hit OK. Now, following the go term, we have the ability to put in an evidence code, which is a critical part of assigning go terms. And the evidence code, you know, typically is going to be the same evidence code you used for the determination of the activity, whether it was enzymatic or not. And so you know, purified protein again. And we can put in the same PubMed ID citation that we had before. So, and then if I again hit OK, I see that, okay, the go term now appears on the protein page, which is very exciting. And there's this little number two there. And it says, well, there's an unimported citation there. So how do we solve that problem? We go up to File, Import, Citations from PubMed. And now we click that and then watch. And you can see the process is going on down here in the lower part of the screen. Oh, and there we go. 
So, since this is the first time I've done this, wow, 79 publication frames and 15 references that couldn't be found. We could look through those right now. This is actually a good part of database cleanup. This will tell you, hey, these references may or may not work, and we're not going to worry about that now, but what we do is we hit OK, and then you see it still hasn't shown, and that's because we haven't, say, clicked away from the page and clicked back on it to let it re-render, or just clicked on itself, and aha! Now we have this mnemonic representation. In this case, CASPI 07. I actually cited us. Uh, it's the most recent Metasite paper. And so we have this mnemonic representation with the name and the year, and you can have other representations as well. You could have just a number. You can have other formats of representing the name. These are all set under tools, preferences, and they're just like setting the colors for the different things, the different objects in the display. It's just preference setting stuff. It doesn't have to do with editing. So now we've put in that name. We've put in stuff up here. Now, we might want to start saving changes. In fact, I recommend saving frequently just in case something funny happens with your computer. I, I'm a habitual saver. So to save, we have it easily up here. We just click Save DB. And it would tell us that it's saving. And that's it walking through the database and saving our current changes to it. And now we're saved. OK. And you can save very frequently. You can't save while you're in one of the editors. That's important to remember. So I recommend just on the off chance that something bad happens, not doing a whole ton of unsaved work all at one time in the editor. I'm happy to click out of the editor, save, open the editor again, keep working. Okay, so back in the protein editor again, what other things do we have in the frame? Well, we have synonyms, and that's just where you can put in names. It's important that you populate this if you know synonyms because these become searchable when you search your database. And so it's a way for you to find a protein by a different name when it comes up in the literature, a name you're used to but your neighbor in the lab is not, that kind of thing. General citations. Now, we like to use a format for the summary of what we like to call assertion citation. And that means that we intersperse the citations within the text, within the free text here, much in the same way that you would in the discussion section of a paper. And we also like to have sort of one-liner that explains the function up top without you know, going into too much detail or having a citation. Now, I and many of my fellow curators normally do these kind of descriptions. We type them up first offline, then paste the whole thing in here. But what you might imagine having is something like this, where we say that aspartate kinase carries out key steps in lysine and homoserine biosynthesis. And that's the sort of general overview sentence. And then you might have something like, and one of the things I like to do, I'll put it here, is put the protein name there in the back so that I don't have to go along saying aspartate kinase, aspartate kinase. Every time I want to reference it, I can just say lyse C. And then here I can say lyse C catalyzes, you know, blah, 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 where I describe a specific function. Then I might want a citation right after that, you know, in the sentence, the way that you would do it in the discussion section of the paper. So I have the cursor where I want it, and I go over here and I click this thing that says CITS, 
So cites, it's our citation system. And I click that, and it makes a ready-made citation slot. And I can type in, again, a PubMed ID or free text if there's no associated PubMed ID. And then I can have a second sentence giving more detail, and then a third, and then maybe another citation after that, right? And you notice this, this will just keep scrolling sideways, so sometimes it's nice to just introduce a line break yourself. Line breaks like that, if you hit return here and it continues over there, those are actually invisible to the software, and you'll see what I mean in a moment. So let's put in this citation again. I know naturally a real entry will probably have multiple paragraphs if there's a lot of detail without the same thing cited over and over and over again. But let's hit OK. And so now we have Lycee catalyzes, blah, blah, blah. We have our first sentence here. And you notice, even though there was a line break in the middle here, it disappears when this is put up here. Paragraphs in our summary boxes are separated by full lines. Full lines in between gives you a new paragraph. Other individual line breaks are meaningless. So let's save our expert curation here. And of course, this is just a really, really, really quick overview of how to put together a summary like this and more on the technical side and not on the formatting side. Um, you're free to, of course, put in whatever you want. You could have a laundry list of sentences here with a citation after each one. You can do whatever. We find that it's easier to read if it flows and it has structure and it reads like a nice encyclopedia entry. Now going back in one more time, there is one other thing of major note, two other things that you can do here. You can add frames and hyperlinks. Now a hyperlink is exactly that. It's going to go out to an outside URL and it will open up in the appropriate web browser and you can add a frame. And that might be if you said something like Lycee interacts with and then when you click on frame in this case, it's going to give me a big view of things I've looked at recently. So let's pick Protein Rec A, and it puts the frame ID in, which is great because it means I didn't have to click over to the frame, look at the frame ID, remember this, and write it all down. However, if I had wanted to go over the protein and look at the frame ID and write it all down myself, I could again click on frame and just click away, and now it puts in an empty frame setting for me. I'll just get rid of that because I don't feel like doing that right now. And the last thing here is that you can use the spell check to do exactly that. Check your spelling. Well, let's cl close this for one more moment. And this shows you what happens when you put in a frame like that. You get a thing that says sentence, 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 the frame reference where it puts in the name of the frame. And that's actually now a clickable link to that frame. And again, as I'm a habitual saver, we'll save one more time. Okay, so let's go back to the editor one more time. Let's click here, Edit, Protein Editor. And let's take a look at what's left in a protein frame that we might want to add or modify. Okay, so we can indicate locations for the protein. And this takes you to our whole cell component ontology. And you can pick all your familiar prokaryotic and eukaryotic locations. Let's just close that. You can link out to other databases. We have some pre-made ones you might want to use, like linking out to... 
uh, say PubChem or go down here, Uniprot, etc. You can now this is a very important one. You can do a credit system where individual authors are credited, and you can click here to update a last curated date. And this can be really handy when you want to keep track of the last time something was curated and you want to do it in a fairly definite manner. Now in the past, before we added this feature, we'd do things like look at what the most recent paper was that was included in the curation. But that's not always indicative. The most recent paper might well be from 1975. And in that case, you want to know that you don't have to keep going back and checking the entry again and again. When you click the last curated date, you'll get a marker, which we'll see once I leave here, but uh, has today's date, which happens to be the 15th of November 2007, that says the last time someone gave this a thorough looking over. And so the next time someone looks at it, they don't really need to go back farther in the literature, for example. Down at the bottom, we have the ability to edit the enzymatic reaction frame. This is actually a different frame, a frame that links the protein to its reaction. And if you want a little more detail about what's going on there, uh, you can look at our introductory webinar a little bit and you can look at our doc documentation. And in this frame, you can add an evidence code specifically assigning why you think this enzyme does this reaction. So again, we could say, oh, we saw it in the purified protein and you can add a citation. And here you can mark the reaction direction. The default assumption is that the reaction direction is unknown, but you can indicate that it's reversible or unidirectional. And in more up-to-date versions of pathway tools, like the one that we're about to release, you can actually add a citation in here as well. Then down below, you can put summaries of things specific to the enzyme activity. Um, we often put things like KIs for certain inhibitors in there. So it's not general protein stuff, but stuff specific to the activity with all the usual summary tools. And then here, there's a structured way to put in activators, inhibitors, and cofactors with all these different possible types. And so what you might do is you put in, okay, there's an activator. Let's say that perhaps our activator is divalent magnesium ion, though that's more likely to be a cofactor. Is it physiologically relevant? And we'll say yes. And what this means is that it will actually show up, the regulation will show up in pathway level displays. You know, for example, feedback inhibition is, is done that way, where it's inhibition, the compound, and it's physiologic, physiologically relevant, and you can put in a citation. Then down at the bottom, you can put in things like optimum temperature, optimum pH, and you can put these in as ranges. So you can do something like five, pH 5 to 7, and it will convert it into this 5 colon 7, but that just means pH 5 to 7, or we could have had it be 5 to 7.5, or whatever, or just a single number. And then KMs for all of the compounds involved. And these KM fields will just automatically appear for the relevant compounds based on the reaction equation up here. And so now you know how to fully populate a protein frame. And if we click down, you'll see I have an activator. It says it's a physiological regulator because I said it was, even though I was weird and chose magnesium, which is more of a cofactor. And I'll hit save again. Finally, to round out our discussion of proteins, let's walk through how to make a protein complex. So protein complexes are generated as new proteins that have either immediate gene products, so monomers, as their components, or even other protein complexes. DNA polymerase of E. coli, as shown in Ecosec, is a good example of a protein complex 
that's made up of a number of other complexes. And there are a couple large structures, pretty much polymerases tend to be like this, that are also good examples of that. So you can just poke around EcoPsych and you'll see good examples of what complex structures can be like. So to make a protein complex, well, we go to protein, new, and we pick the protein type and we pick protein complex. If we picked polypeptide, we'd be making a monomer. And again, that would be done in the case where you have a protein that was maybe purified and characterized, but for which no sequence was ever identified. So number of distinct gene products. You know, if we were expecting, say, a heterodimer, then we click two and it would give us these two spaces. But let's go back and just go with one. We're gonna make a homomultimer of aspartate kinase. And so we can either input a protein name directly here or we can input a gene. I'll put in a gene and you can see it populates the protein name there for me so I can check my work and make sure I've picked what I meant to pick. So I hit OK and we're in a protein editing frame for our protein complex and we want to give it a name. I'll call it our protein complex and the other thing that we want to do right away, we can always come back and edit the rest of this later, is if we know the coefficient, we can put the coefficient in. So let's say it's a homodimer. We'll put in a coefficient of two. Now note, you can make a protein complex without knowing the coefficient. So you can just have a sort of generic protein complex where you don't know how many subunits go into it. Let's hit OK. And now what we'll see, well first, as I'll recommend, we hit save again. Now let's cruise down the page here and see this. This is the gene reaction schematic, which you hopefully remember from using our databases and from the introductory webinar. And there's something interesting going on, which is that the reaction is still tied to the monomer. And until we do something about that, if we want to do something about that, that's how it'll be. Now there are cases where a protein multimerizes, but the activity really is at the monomer level. And so you could just leave that this way to show why, yes, it does form a dimer, but the activity is nested firmly in single monomers. But as you're aware, most of the time you're going to have a multimer that only functions enzymatically as a multimer. And so that means we need to port this reaction from the monomer to the dimer. So what do we do about this? Well, since it's early and we won't have edited much information into the enzymatic reaction, we're going to right click on the reaction we're going to click edit and we're going to go to detach enzymes now if there were multiple enzymes associated with this reaction which would be able to see from the schematic we'd have to choose but here there's just the one so we say detach it says are you sure did you really mean to do that why yes we do and boom here we are on the reaction enzyme detached now we can back up and now we have our poor lonely enzyme with no associated reaction now there's something very important you need to notice here. The enzymatic reaction information has gone away. When we disconnected the reaction from the protein, it deleted that enzymatic reaction frame, the place where we said, yeah, magnesium is an activator. So if you've put a lot of information to that enzymatic reaction, this is not how you want to do this transition, and you'll need to do it in the frame editor. 
and it's a little complex to explain right now so I will recommend that you contact us by email if you're in that situation however if you're newly curating and editing your brand new database you don't have that information in there yet and you can make all your multimers before you ever put any of that in and in that case you can do what I just did disconnect the reaction then I'll right click here I'm on the protein complex notice our complex of frame names are CPLX blah so they're all complex very mnemonic edit add reactions and I get a list here and I can do frame IDs or EC numbers now I don't remember the frame ID for that reaction but I remember the EC number so we'll do that and then we'll hit OK and now we're back in the editor for the enzyme for the protein complex and the reason this is brought up is because we're going to have to give it an activity name and so we know this is aspartate kinase it'll actually bother us if we don't put in an activity name for the enzymatic activity and we could also put into other things now the evidence for the activity the cofactors etc cetera, etc cetera. but I'll just hit OK and voila we now have a lyse C aspartate kinase monomer that dimerizes and then carries out this reaction and that's how you do that so let's save again so now we know how to edit and generate reactions how to edit and generate compounds and how to edit and generate proteins and protein complexes and how to connect them to reactions. So in the next step, continuing in the next video in this portion of the webinar, we're going to go from those reactions to the full pathways that you're most likely interested in if you're looking at the metabolic level in your organism. So just come right back to us for the next part where we'll take a look at how to curate and edit a pathway.